that meet and greet time. That was uh, excessive and good. <laughs> it's been a while since we got to greet one another, and so. Uh, okay, well, we are in, we're, we're finishing up in chapter 6, uh, right where we left off. We got through verse 19, so we're picking up at chapter 6 of Proverbs, verse 20. We're going to take that last paragraph, and then we're going to take all of chapter 7. And it's all about adultery. So you probably came to church today and thought, oh boy, another sermon over adultery. Let's do this. Like, this isn't like a fun sermon to prepare. This isn't a fun thing to think about. Uh, when anytime you contemplate sexual immorality, it's, it's, it isn't a joy, right, to, to have to, to cover this sort of ground. But God is so gracious in repeatedly giving us this wisdom and insight, repeatedly giving us his thoughts on sexuality as we go through scripture. And it is just pure, pure grace that he does this because he is protecting us. He is preparing us. He's giving us a shield so that we will be protected from harm. And so this is, this is what we, wanna, what we want uh, to spend our time doing today is just being real about this threat and being real about what God thinks about it so that we can be ready. And so sometimes we get to a repetitive theme in Scripture and we say to ourselves, ah, oh, this again, I already know adultery is bad. I don't need this again. I believe him when he says it's bad. But the argument is more than that, right? The, the teaching in Proverbs is more than, than just, hey, adultery is bad. It teaches us so much more than that. And, and, and we get prideful, I think. We, we, we backslide into arrogance whenever we think we don't need to hear it again. We want to be humble before the Lord. And, and if he brings it up again in Scripture as we walk through the book of Proverbs, it must be worth another look. It must be worth our time to, to go and, and, and talk through the awkwardness of this subject. It must be worth it. And I think it is because not, not a single one of us in here is immune to sexual immorality, not a single one of us. And so if precautions aren't taken, if awareness isn't raised, in particular with this subject, then mistakes are inevitable. And so we want, we want to get this insight in the same way, God, God wants this insight for us in the same way that he wants, Solomon wants his son to have this insight so that he can be ready, be safe, be prepared. I'm glad my boys are here for this awkward sermon because I want them to contemplate these things and to think about these things that we would be protected. It's loving that God would protect us in this way. And you really hear this in the opening verses that we're, we're, we're talking about. In chapter 6, verse 20 through 23, he says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and, a teaching, and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This is so loving. I'm, I'm, son, I'm giving you these teachings. I'm talking to you about these things that aren't necessarily fun to talk about because I want you to fear the Lord and I want your life to be good and I want you to, to, to be able to consider this when you walk so that you're protected. I want you to consider this when you lie down so that you can sleep at night. I want you to think about it when you're awake because the temptations when it comes to your sexuality are ready to, to attack at all times. 
So you need to be ready at all times and be shielded at all times. And remember, again, shielding, being shielded isn't to be oblivious. It's, it's the opposite of that. To be shielded is to be shielded with knowledge, to have awareness of what's out there. So we want to have this awareness. And sexual immorality is ready to strike at all times. And, and, and so this is in the context, again, of a, son talk to, or a father talking to his son. But this is obviously just as equally as important to every woman in here because the consequences of adultery are the same. The way sexual temptation works is the same. And so th those are the two things that he's really uh, fleshing out in the rest of chapter 6 and into to chapter 7. He's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not just going to sit here and tell you this is, this is bad. You already know that. It presupposes this. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you what the consequences are, where this road leads. You start walking down this road, let me tell you where it goes. And let me show you how this works. That's, that's what we're talking about. Where, where this path leads and how it works. And so here he's going to tell us where the path leads, continuing in 24, verse 24 through the rest of chapter 6. He says, I, I want to I start with 23 because I, you, I ended in the middle of a sentence there. It says, for the commandment is a lamp and the, the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are, are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So it is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife None who touches her will go unpunished. People do, not people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Hey. <laughs> it's a pretty intense passage of scripture, right? I mean, he's emphasizing once again, just as, just as he did in chapter 5, emphasizing once again the high price of walking down this road. And so it isn't so much an ethical argument as much it is, as it is a practical argument. If you go this way, here's what's going to happen. Here are the consequences. And they are so bad. Just know that if you walk down this road, it's as if you're destroying yourself. This is like one of the worst self-inflicted wounds you can have. You're destroying, you're destroying yourself when you, when you walk down this path. That's why it doesn't make any sense for you to go down it. And I love the analogy here. It says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? No, obviously no. You know, can, can you step on hot coals and not be burnt and not be scorched? No, I mean, you, th this, is, this is a path of self-destruction. And so the scenario that he has, the, this, he has a, this comparison scenario, like, like you think of a, a guy who steals because he's, he's starving that at least makes sense, 
But if you commit adultery, it will never make sense to yourself or to anyone else. No one's ever going to look at your, your sin of adultery and say, well, I can understand why he would do that. It's, ne- it's never going to be understandable. If the guy steals bread because he's starving, like, like when Aladdin had to steal to eat, got to eat to live, when he was doing that, like we're all rooting for him, right? We have compassion for Aladdin because he's starving. If at least he, he's going to, you know, people who steal to eat, they may pay the price, but we, we can understand why they would do such a thing. But it doesn't work that way with adultery, he says. If you commit the sin of adultery, man, this really hard truth, the disgrace will never be wiped away. Now you can repent. God can restore your life. He can restore and redeem your marriage and your family. But damage is done. That can't be undone. That's what that passage is saying. There are lifelong consequences to that kind of mistake. And those won't go away this side of heaven. That's, that's the part of adultery TV doesn't tell you about, right? I mean, you watch TV and you, and you see extramarital affairs and things ta- happening, and they're almost like glamorized in, in many shows that we watch. They're almost, uh, you, you know, they're, they're, they're romanticized, they're, they're almost celebrated, but the, the point is that it's they want to normalize this behavior so that it's justified, so that we can feel better about ourselves if we walk down that road. I mean, we almost come to expect it in, in our culture. But, like, this is why I appreciate hard passages of Scripture like this. God loves us enough to level with us. Like, you know, like, when you build relationships with people and, and you talk about uh, subjects that are a little more complex, a little more difficult, a little more awkward. We, we're, we tend to want to tell people what they want to hear. We tend to not say anything difficult. We tend to, to avoid any and all awkwardness as much as we possibly can. But, but God loves us enough to just level with us. Let me just tell you, let me just tell you how it is. Let me, let me show you the underbelly of this sin just so you know it's not like the way it's portrayed on TV. That's fake. That's, that is not real. That is not how this pans out. There is nothing to be celebrated here. There is nothing romantic about this. There's, there's, nothing, there, there's nothing normal. We, we, we should not think normal when we think of this. He, he even goes as far as to, to mention the one who was offended, like the husband of the one offended. He's like, don't, don't, don't expect forgiveness from that guy. There is no amount of compensation that you could ever give that man to to make him think like, oh, okay, you know, I'm over it. That's okay. Don't ever expect compensation from that guy. The only thing you should expect from that guy is revenge. God's just leveling with us here. You should just expect revenge, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate that God levels with us and tells us how it is because he's really trying to keep us from harm. He's really trying to protect us, but he doesn't stop there. He wants to equip. He wants to prepare. Solomon is talking to his kids, and he, he's like, those are the consequences. That, that's, how, that's, that's, that's what it looks like in the end, but let me just show you how this tends to, to pan out. I want to tell you how temptation works, how, how sexual temptation tends to, to flesh out in our lives. And so that's what chapter 7 is about. Look at the first five verses with me. This will be very familiar if you've been with us in Proverbs. My son, 
Keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the, from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Saying, hey, listen, when it comes to wisdom, make wisdom the apple of your eye. You, know, you think all the things that capture our attention or captivate our sight. Let wisdom captivate us, is what he's saying. Let, let the commandments of God captivate us. His ways captivate us. We should, we should have a relationship with these commandments like a, like a sister, like an intimate friend. We should walk with this teaching. Listen to the words of godly wisdom as opposed to the smooth words of the adulteress. You might remember in the first chapter, he was even saying like, or wisdom came upon the scene and she would, she would shout from the street corners and go to the public places, hey, I'm here, listen to me, don't go the wrong way. This is, this is kind of feeding on that theme again here in Proverbs saying, you know, build a relationship with the wisdom of God. Think about it, dwell upon it, spend your time focusing on it so you can benefit from those teachings. Because if you don't, it will be disastrous. It will be painful. It will be hurtful. And so, and so to teach his sons how this works, he starts to paint a picture here in the rest of chapter 7. He's like, imagine this scenario. I want to I show you how I've observed this in the world. People who tend to think that they can hold fire close to their chest and not get burned. Let me just tell you a little story about someone who held that fire close to their chest. Someone who thought he could walk on the hot coals and everything would be okay. That's where he picks up here in verses 6 through 9. He says, for at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, in darkness. You see how he's, how he's describing this scenario? I almost, when I'm reading scenarios like this in scripture, I'm painting the picture in my mind. You can see, you can see him looking through the lattice, you know, this guy, does, he's not aware that he's observing him, and, and like, what's he doing at this time of night? What's, what, what's, what's he, why is he at this late for? And remember, the simple, the simple, when it comes to, to Proverbs, when, when someone is called simple, like when we call someone simple, we may be saying that their IQ is low or something like that. But in Proverbs, when he's referring to someone as simple, it's not an intellectual problem, it's a moral problem. He's just someone who's indifferent to the teachings of God. He hasn't resolved the way that he feels with regard to the, the teachings of God. And, and so he's, he's open to other ways of thinking. He's exploring the world. He's learning the hard way, which is what we've been talking about. And so he's observing this guy through, through the lattice. He's, he's out at, in the evening, in the darkness. A lot of bad things happen in the dark, right? And so you remember in chapter 5 when he's talking about the, the adulterous woman. You remember that moment where he's saying, don't even go near her house. Don't go anywhere near it. Don't, don't, keep far from her. And here he's back to this scenario and he's talking about this adulterous woman in the same way. It's like, man, this guy is just, 
He's just passing along, but he's putting himself in a real bad spot. Don't be like that simple guy. You know, he, he's placed himself in a situation in which he could be tempted. That's a big lesson to learn in Scripture, right? I mean, we find ourselves before sexual temptation from time to time. How often, here's a good question to ask yourself, how often have you ended up there deliberately? Sometimes we just by chance get to that place. Sometimes sexual temptation finds us. And if you don't go looking for it, it will find you eventually. You're going to come up against it. But you can't help that every single time. But you can help putting yourself in a situation in which you know you're going to be te uh, tempted sexually. You know, so I, I think too many believers are willing to maybe accidentally deliberately put themselves in a place where they know they're going to fail. They're fishing. They're in the dark. It's like they've come up upon the, the hot coals and they've taken their shoes off and they're just kind of, you know, well, I'm not going to press down, but I'm just going to kind of feel the heat. It's foolish. Only the simple do this. People who are indifferent to the commands of God. But let's go. Let's, let's continue with this building uh, scenario that we have in our minds, in verse 10 through 12, and behold, the woman meets him. Oh, he, he, he dwelled there too long. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. There's another proverb later in chapter 26 that talks about the adulterous woman and it says that she lies in wait like a robber, ready to pounce. And since he's just wandering aimlessly, not fearing the Lord, just kind of indifferent, just kind of exploring, looking around, he walked right into the trap. And that's what we do when, when we're not conscious of where we're headed, if we're not, if we're not intentional and we're not trying to, to use the shield that God has given us, we will wander into the trap, for sure. And so this woman is, is wily of heart, it says. Now, that, anytime I see a, a word that's kind of less common, that you know, I'm not, I don't throw around the word wily very often. So anytime I come across a word like that in Scripture, my tendency is to go look up what word are they translating to wily. Um, and, and so typically when you see a word that's less common like that, it means they're having difficulties translating that word. And so th when you go look at the Hebrew, the word that they're translating to wily literally would be translated, she's guarded of heart, as in she's not revealing her true heart, her true intentions. She's cunning, right? She's, she's not revealing why she's really there. And again, I think when it comes to sexual temptation, and, and when we deliberately wander around and things like that, we're, we're, we're looking for that temptation. We want to tiptoe that line, and too many believers are content to exist there. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm just going to walk up to the line and just exist there for a little bit and not reveal my true intentions, my true my true motives and so you know they they don't uh they're not they're not honest with themselves or with other people why they are there so like if you intervened at this moment like it, like the the way that the picture's painted right now the, the the simple man's just walked along and he's wandering in the dark you know kind of deliberately putting himself in 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 uh in a, a tempting 
atmosphere, and she's lying in wait like a, like a robber. But their, their motives aren't clear to other people. They're, they're both kind of guarding their heart, I would say. Too many believers exist there, and, and, and it goes wrong. If you were to in, intervene at this moment, they would, claim, they would claim that they were doing nothing wrong, right? Like imagine intervening at that moment. Hey, what are you doing out this late? Ah, I just couldn't sleep. Hey, what, what, are you, what are you doing out here dressed like that? Oh, I'm, I'm just taking a stroll, not doing anything wrong, not pretending to be a prostitute, that's for sure. Right? I mean, like, they're, not, not, they're guarding their heart at this moment. And, and it's, so, it's so hard, like, whenever over the years I've seen people exist where, like, there's suspicion there, I feel like I should intervene, but I don't want to. Like, when you see, and I've seen this go down in church, so many times I, I've lost track. We're like, we're like this married man and this married woman just start existing together a lot. They're chummy. They're, they're buds. They obviously can't wait to spend time with each other when they get to church. To the point in which you're just kind of like, man, you know, they spend a lot of time seeking each other out and hanging out. And We make excuses for people like that all the time too, don't we? We, we say like, well, well, come on, this is church. Be mature, buddy. This is church. They're just friends. They're just having a good time. But, you know, you see it getting a little overly flirtatious at times. And, oh, man, there's so many times in which I've, I've seen that start to develop and, and blossom into a relationship that's, that's real suspicious. But I don't say anything because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't, I don't want to mess with anybody. I don't want to make them mad, I don't want to make it awkward, and then you don't say anything, and then, and then later you have this affair. You should have said something, but you didn't, and now it's too late. I've seen that go down. And so we have an expression in, in, in our language, right, where there's smoke, there's fire. You start to see that smoke, and we, but we see smoke and we don't want to say anything. And so I know when I was younger, I've, I, I've, I only know full-time ministry as a career, I've never had any other career in my adult life. I've always just been in churches and ministry and just, and just shepherding God's people. And early in my career, I would see things like this happen and see affairs take place and things like that and see these relationships develop and eventually it goes wrong and nobody intervenes. And I would always make excuses for those people and I would never want to say anything. But the, the, the more time that went by, the, the less willing I was to not intervene. And I've, I've started to kind of turn into the person that when I see smoke, I might passive-aggressively intervene. <laughs> that's how I start. That's my, that's my inclination. Like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not having an affair, are you? Uh, you know, how, how do you intervene? You don't want to do this. It's so awkward. It's terrible. But I, I remember the first time I ever did intervene. It was a long time ago. And I, I wanted, I, I, saw, I saw the smoke. And so I was like, I got to say something. I'd go home and I'd talk to Amanda about it. And she's like, oh, you should say something. You, you bring it up. Talk about it. I'm like, I don't want to. And I, I remember uh, just thinking like, okay, look, I, I've seen enough train wrecks now to where I'm going to intervene. I'm going to say something. I'm not going to wait for this to go bad. It's worth the awkwardness. And so I, I built up the, as much courage as I could. And it, it, I wanted to be as polite as I could and as loving as I could and as sensitive as I could. I wanted to honor them in the words that I was speaking. And I, I finally went up to them and I just intervened. And I said, hey, I see, I see the smoke. Is there a fire over here or almost? Is there sparks? Are you getting ready to start a fire? 
it went awful. Oh, man. I got ripped up one side and down the other. The friendship was lost forever. It never recovered. They were so, so angry with me. How dare you? You're going to mess up my career. You're messing with my life just by asking that question. They were so overly offended. I, I, was, I felt awful. I, was, I, I just felt terrible. I apologized. And I'm so sorry. I, I just, maybe I misinterpreted things. I just, you know, I've seen people make mistakes and I didn't want to see you make that mistake. How dare you? They were furious with me. I mean, just lit me up. Then called and lit me up again. Then called seven other people and lit me up to them. Man, I just felt terrible. I was thinking to myself, no wonder nobody says anything. No wonder people don't want to intervene. They're afraid of that. And I just felt so bad. And, you know, that kind of died down and the friendship was broken. And guess what? There was smoke. And weeks, it was, it was weeks after that, that the fire started. And then other people started to go where the fire was and saw the fire, literally saw the fire, if you know what I mean. It went really, really bad. Families were broken, marriages were done, and church community was broken for that matter for a season. But you know, what I thought is, I started to get in the frame of mind early on, especially starting off with, with a scenario like that, they're like, man, just don't say anything. Just don't intervene. But after seeing the aftermath, I thought, you know what? That awkwardness was worth a try. I, I gave it a shot. It went bad. It was terrible. But I gave it a shot. If you see the smoke, say something. If you truly care about your brother or sister in Christ and you see smoke, especially if you have a strong relationship with them, especially if you consider them a friend, someone you spend time with, someone you care about, someone you can have, you, you talk about life with, if you see the smoke there, say something. If that friendship can't withstand that sort of intervention, you're probably not friends anyway. It's just an acquaintance. It's, it's not really what you think it is. It's so worth inter intervening, like, especially in a body of Christ. Love one another enough. And if someone intervenes with you, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, is that legit? Are you being smart here? Why would you be furious with them? If you're guilty, you might be furious, like what they were. But if you're not guilty, right, you should be thankful. Man, they love me enough to try to keep me away from harm. They care about me enough to, to keep me from falling into a pit and ruining my marriage. Say something. Always be willing to say something. Because, you know, I, I would say, like, like, if you think of the people that you live with that you feel like you would listen to, I bet you it's a short list, right? Like we, we all probably have a pretty short list of people that could intervene and we would actually like really be attentive to that. But man, if you're not attentive, one of those five people intervened with you and you're not attentive to that, what's that saying about you? Right? They, they want what's best for you. They're, they're intervening for a good reason. So Solomon's like, okay, he's not, he's not even talking about intervening. That was for free, that was sidetracking. But he, he, he wants his son to know, here's what happens when nobody intervenes. They were out in the dark, they meet up, they're putting themselves in harm's way, they're putting themselves in a, a, a situation in which they could fail, no one intervenes. Let me tell you what happens, son. Verse 13 says, she seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face says to him, 
I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. She's saying, hey, you were on my agenda today. Here, 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 here's what I got going on. I'm all caught up in religion. And actually, this would be Hebrew lingo for I have a meal at home. I've made sacrifices. I have meat back at my place, and I am going to prepare a meal. The fridge is full back home. It's ready to go. Would you like to come over for dinner? That's what this, this is like Hebrew lingo for inviting someone over for dinner. The kiss was received well, right? And so in 16 through 17, she continues, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Evidently, Egyptian cotton was a thing back then. Right? You go pick out your sheets. She's got the Egyptian cotton laid out. She's, she's used the, the myrrh fabric softener. Everything's clean and, and ready to go here. It smells good. You know, the, the house is clean. There's food in there. And the bed is made and prepared and ready to rock and roll. She continues here, just in case he doesn't, like, understand what she's got going on. She just comes out and says it here in verse 16 and and, uh, or I'm sorry, in verses 18 through 20. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full moon. He will come home. So she's like, we got, we got time. My husband is not there. Now, anyone who, who entertains an affair... They have to believe a few lies, but the number one lie that they have to believe is no one will find out. No one will ever know. I'm going to do this and no one will ever know. That's the biggest lie you have to believe. And so, first of all, God always knows, right? God always knows. And secondly, you know, and the word always manages to get out. Like, like when, you, when you have an affair, what you've done is you've armed the nuclear warhead, and there is a countdown that has begun. Sometimes that countdown has hours, minutes, seconds. Sometimes that countdown has years, but the countdown has begun. Make no mistake. Like, we say things like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Are you in Vegas right now? No, you left Vegas. No, it doesn't stay in Vegas. That's just something we say. What happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas. We just say that saying to make ourselves feel like we got away with it and no one will know. But it's not true. This scenario with the simple man, uh, here, here's the reality of what happens to the simple man. In verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth, smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an axe, an ox, sorry, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Saying when, when you give in to this temptation, you're like an ox waltzing into the slaughterhouse. The people who give in to this temptation, they're, they're like a wild game animal who's just standing there staring at the one who's aimed at them, ready to kill them. You're, you're like a bird who sees a snare and 
flies into the snare. That, it, it's self-destructive. You're killing yourself. You're destroying your own life. And anyone who has been through a scenario like that, anyone who has recovered or been restored or, or have, has gone through that situation and made those choices, they will tell you that's about as accurate a description as you can possibly have. I was an ox going to be slaughtered. I was the bird flying right into the snare. I just destroyed, I, I, I saw that I was in the sights and I just stood there and waited for the kill shot. It's self-destructive. He, let, me, let me read what's left in verse 24. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my, of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she, has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. That's the realm of the dead. Going down to the chambers of death. So anytime you read about ethics and, and, and things in, in scripture, and especially in Proverbs. It's a matter of life and death. You go down this path, it's going to lead to death. You walk down this path, it leads to life. You go this way, it's going to ruin. It's going to destroy. You will decay. If you go down that way, it will bring life. And so we know in scripture, like when we read this whole passage of scripture, God is not mentioned once. When we, when we consider the whole counsel though, of scripture, we understand there is a different path here. And so Solomon is pleading with his boys, don't go down the path of, of self-destruction. Go down the path that gives life in abundance, that restores, that redeems. And so now all of us in here, if we're being 100% honest, all of us in here are guilty of some sort of sexual sin, or you're going to be. That's, that's reality. Talk about leveling with, with everybody, right? That's just reality. Every single one of us in here has been guilty of a sexual sin or will be guilty of a sexual sin on some level. And so the Bible wants to plead with us and keep bringing this to our attention because we are still this side of heaven and still fallen short and we're not immune to this sort of behavior. So no matter how far you've gone down that road, turn around. Go the other way. No matter how far down that road you've traveled, when you read a text like this and when you're prayerfully considering it, you should be inspired to repent, to turn back, take the path that will restore you, that will redeem you. And the way that you take that path is by holding on to this wisdom, this grace that, God's, that God gives us. This, this wisdom is like a, an intimate friend that we should, we should just lovingly put our arm around and they'll put their arm around us and like a sister that we're just going to travel with in life to go to a path that leads to restoration, a path that's beautiful, the path that you were meant to go. And as we walk with wisdom, we know that the wisdom of God is the gospel. Christ is ultimately the wisdom of God. He is our hope. He is our path. And he is our shield that protects us from this damage. It also restores us from the damage that it, that it has caused. And so that's how we want to end our service as we do every single Sunday, is to remember what restores and redeems us in our sin. And that's what compels us and motivates us to stay on the path of holiness. And so let's go into a time of prayer. We're going to pass out communion together and remember the gospel 
and pray for restoration and redemption today. Lord, we thank you for difficult passages of scripture such as Proverbs 6 and 7. Lord, I'm grateful for an opportunity to preach another awkward sermon. Uh, I, I, I think sermons like this are so worth it. It's so worth it. It's, it's encouraging, Lord, to teach my sons this. It's encouraging, Lord, to think about this for myself so that I can protect my family and, and, and my thoughts and my intentions and, and that I can examine, uh, you know, my, my motives as I walk through life. Lord, thank you for passages of Scripture that cause us to look at the ugly and consider if there's any of that going on in our hearts and minds. And Lord, most of all, we're so grateful for the redemption because every time we go looking for the ugly, we find it. Every time we start examining our hearts and minds, we find a little bit of the ugly. And it's just by your grace that you, you use your word to point it out to us so that we can get rid of it, so that we can put off the old and put on the new our lives in Christ. And so Lord, may we do that today as we walk into a time of communion to consider, to self-examinate, uh, our, our motives and or self-examine and, and, and Lord that we could just consider how we could change all to your glory. Amen.